Scott, I need you to be the Ant-Man. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. It's Tuesday, January 6th, 2015, and this is issue number eight. This is our first uh, podcast of the year. So welcome back, everyone. Dave, did you ring in the new year in any sort of comic book fashion? I posted a special episode of this podcast, meaning you are technically incorrect, and it's the thought bubble, so let's get our facts straight. <laughs> this is the first episode that we've recorded in the correct. New Year's, but the second one that Dave kindly posted. Um, I'm guessing you already saw our review of Agent Carter or our preview of Agent Carter, but if not, that did go up on January 1st because Dave is a total champ and did some work on a holiday for all of you and your listening pleasure. Uh, we had a guest host, Vivian Kane, and I thought it was a really fun discussion. And now I think we've all seen the second episode, so we might have further discussion, further thoughts on Asian Carter. Um, but let's dive into a little bit of news before we get to listener questions this week. I want to start with a really interesting thing that came out of all this Ant-Man promo, all these Ant-Man promos that we've seen. Uh, I know we're going to get a full trailer tonight, I think, with Agent Carter. Um, I believe uh, it's Tuesday night. You guys are going to be hearing this Wednesday. So you'll be living in a post-trailer world. But anyway, we've seen a teeny tiny trailer teaser and then a bigger teaser and then a great character poster that was released today that had teeny tiny uh, spec Ant-Man and then an Entertainment Weekly cover that had a magnifying glass up to that Ant-Man that had Paul Rudd in full costume. And I really, really love how much fun they're having with um this this campaign but something really interesting that dave said to me about it last week caused me to write it down so that we could talk about it today on air so dave what is the big takeaway from what we've seen from the ant-man uh promos so far oh there's a helmet that covers all the face for both the villain and the hero so i think this is our first marvel cinematic universe secret identity and that's crazy i mean dave and i talked about this a couple you know at the beginning of recording this podcast, and I hadn't thought about how um, the Marvel Universe doesn't have a lot of secret identities. We know who Steve Rogers is, we know who Tony Stark is, and the whole public knows. Uh, but the, we're going to get a more typical, in theory, according to Dave's uh, helmet deductions or, or face mask deductions, that both Corey Stahl's character, Yellow Jacket, and Paul Rudd's character, Ant-Man, uh, will have secret identities. So that should be interesting. Well, I think Ant-Man especially because... Pim is, or at least traditionally in the comics, he's some sort of thief. And we could see in the bits of the teaser that we've seen at this point uh, that he looks like he gets arrested and he gets in some prison fights and Pim sort of gets him out and makes him fight Janet to sort of like train where he gets the suit for some purpose that Pim wants to get the company back from Corey Stahl. So 
being that we know all that from the trailer, I think that the Paul Rudd identity is the secret one because everyone expects it to be him using his own technology. But we're going to have a secret secret identity superhero, at least for a little bit. So I, you think like, and Michael Douglas is playing Pym, right? Yes. So do you think it's like the youth advantage that Paul Rudd would have in the suit? Like why put it on this character rather than a Michael Douglas character in your imagine your extrapolation, your imagination? Well, I mean, we know from interviews with Corey Stoll that his character has taken over Pym Particles or whatever the company is. You see the building in the trailer that says Pym on the side and the big hallway that Corey Stoll's walking down with his bald bald head glint. Um, that <laughs> he's sort of taken over the company, and so of course, if the company's going in an evil direction, and Pym needs to take it down for the good of his own technology, he can't do it. Uh, nor can his daughter do it. Although she might want to do it, and might have already trained to do it, which gives us our sort of wasp go forth. But you need a third party, and this uh, prisoner that Paul Rudd plays, Scott Lang, will probably be it. And so Janet is played by um. Kate, oh gosh, Kate from Lost, what's her name? Evangeline Lilly. Correct. I'm, I'm terrible with actor names today. Be warned, I don't know what's happening. My my brain is more Swiss cheese than normal, so. Um, and there is some indication that if she's not in Wasp, which is a superhero, she's not in Wasp mode in this movie, she might show up in, I don't know, the Avengers movie or some future movie uh, in Wasp mode, right? That's the theory? Yeah, th- I think uh, there's a lot of I, mean, I think we've talked about in a previous episode in terms of what our new Avengers are going to be. There's a lot of open slots in the Avengers movies because they've been Joss Whedon movies thus far are so much based on the team dynamic that if they need a, you know, thief with a heart of gold or a shrinking uh, fighting woman, uh, then they have this property to pull from. Um, Yeah, and it's interesting to me, Jessica Chastain gave this sort of oblique interview where she's talking about a movie, a role that she was offered, but she wanted to be a superhero right away and didn't want to wait. And so everyone sort of assumed that it was the Janet role in Ant-Man uh, and that we would have to wait to see Evangeline Lilly sort of kick butt. But if she's training, um, is it Scott Lang? Is that his character's name? Yeah. You see her kind of boxing. Yeah, she's kick-boxing boxing with him. We'll see a little bit of that. We know that Evangeline Lilly is a good action actress, so that'll be fun. You also see her amongst the servers and whatnot, so uh, she's probably your, you know, good old-fashioned action hero female now. Well, I guess it's not old-fashioned, good or old-fashioned. It's a modern action female, which means it could do a lot of stuff, and hopefully it's not just quips. That's true. I, I like I like someone who does a little bit more than quipping. Um, speaking of great quips, though, uh, <laughs> we did get a release date for the uh, Gambit movie, and I consider mumbled Cajun phrases, quips. So that's that's the connection I'm making. Uh, Channing Tatum's Gambit is going to come out October 2016. Uh, does this information mean anything to you at all, Dave? Uh, it's hilarious that Fox went from being in a movie with like Batman v Superman or in a year with like Batman v Superman and Captain America Civil War and all they had was like X-Men Apocalypse. And they're like, oh, and Deadpool and Gambit. So all of a sudden, <laughs> like a year that looked completely dominated by the two big movie houses starting to slug away at each other, Fox is like, and us too. And We're it, still here? Yeah, if they could pull it off, that's that's a good showing. Three reasonably well-box-office X-Men movies. 
that sort of all connect and to each other is a good way to sort of stumble into the interconnected universe like uh, they've been doing with X-Men thus far. And do you think, do you think there's still going to be a Sinister? Cause Sinister Stick 6 is also to come out in November of that year. Do you think that's still going to happen? Are we going to see a showing from Sony? I think that's going to be a Spider-Man movie one way or the other. Okay. Or at uh, least that's the hope. Wouldn't it be sad if Paul Giamatti showed up to do like his tiny part in Spider-Man 2 without anything to springboard onto? You know, the presumption is that his character would be in future films, but what if they're just like, mm, nope, sorry, we're just going to leave it there. You were just well, there. Interesting side tangent. I uh, The other night I was watching Amazing Spider-Man 2 and it occurred to me that if Gwen didn't die and Harry wasn't part of the entire story, you could basically cut a lot out of Amazing Spider-Man 2 and just make it this arc about Peter dealing with the fact that Gwen's going to Oxford, Electro, and the Rhino. And in that version that I cut together... It's only about an hour long, and Paul Giamatti's pretty fairly represented <laughs> alongside Electro in terms of He's proportionate. how the character is uh, portrayed and how much time he gets with action scenes. So he doesn't have the big climax, but um, he I know I'm not clamoring for more Rhino. No, not necessarily. It's just like, oh, that was Paul Giamatti's comic book role was the Rhino. That's a bummer. Um, I'd much rather see him do something more interesting. Well, um, it's, the one he, it's the one he asked for. Oh, on, is like, it? Television. He's like, I'd love to play the Rhino. Oh, that's so, so they, like, funny. Gave it to him. <laughs> Be like, we need a villain to bookend this. <laughs> so I mean, he got All right, to he do got his what thing he wanted. And, All right. uh, you know, yeah, got to play around New York in his underwear. Uh, and really quickly, also, we got, we heard that Fantastic Four number two is coming out June of 2017. So, you know, whatever that means. Well, I don't think we're going to know what that means until we see the first one. So, well, uh, what that means is someone's seen the first one and liked it and is like, uh, good enough, pig. <laughs> That'll do, pig. <laughs> you, you don't think it has to do with like locking down actors like Michael B. Jordan and Miles Teller before they get like two, you know, before. Miles Teller rides his whiplash glory into something else. I think the good enough bar is low enough. That might have a <laughs> contributing factor to the casting, but I, I don't, I'm not, I think it's mostly like, hey, this isn't, we don't think this is going to bomb. This is testing fine. Let's slot a sequel. We got to get the Fantastic Four in there. All right. Well, that's good news for fans of the Fantastic Four. Um, so now we're going to dive into some listener questions. Our first one comes. Uh, from Craig from Kentucky, and he writes, I'm seeing all kinds of love for Guardians of the Galaxy on so many 2004 top 10 lists. This is love I understand and can somewhat get behind, but it bums me out that almost all the 2014's Marvel affection is going to Guardians instead of Captain America, colon, The Winter Soldier. Personally, I think Cap 2 is the better movie and Marvel's best movie to date. I have my suspicions on why Guardian is the movie Marvel movie of the year, but I'm very interested to hear your opinions. Why do you think Guardians is the Marvel movie getting most of the attention? Do you think we're Cap was robbed, or at least nudged ever so slightly to the side. Um, I'm going to say that I rewatched Guardians of the Galaxy over Christmas. What a freaking fun movie that is, even upon rewatch. Uh, but I, I did. I loved Captain America: The Winter Soldier. I thought it. I, I think it might be. I, I well, it just sort of depends what you're calling best. Anyway, Dave, what's your answer here? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think he's mostly right in terms of uh, how he liked Cap a lot, but he has suspicions about why Guardians is the Marvel movie in the year in the sense that I think it's both. 
because I think Captain America 2 only gets better as we get further along in the Captain America series. Because in terms of like a second part, it has a lot in common with uh, uh, Thor, uh, which was the second installment in Phase 2, and Iron Man 2, which was the second installment in the Iron Man series. Uh, the Marvel like second installment movie is if you're a second installment movie, you in the middle of the movie, you have this like monologue over stills or while somebody's talking to you about your past that has like this info dump that's either about like shield or you know, actually you know it's all been about shield it's just just about shield so you get your shield dump in the middle movie um and now guardians of the galaxy also had like that sort of info dump but it was like colorful and amongst like this weird easter egg field and it's like it's just because it wasn't shield it didn't bother me for some reason and that the fact that guardians is doing a sort of star wars riff that's just sort of like an action movie um and i like even the 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 info dump in guardians is more colorful when you think back to like iron man 2's uh, he had the, the model his father left him that had the secret MacGuffin in it. I prefer not to think back to Iron Man 2, ever. He, yeah, and luckily, thanks to work <laughs> on television, you'll never have to. <laughs> we'll um, get to that. Yeah, but I think uh, like the things that made Guardians good is like a single serving and probably the better Marvel movie of the year. Captain America is going like, to age like a fine wine yeah. to the point where it could be like The Empire Strikes Back of like the Captain America trilogies Um, because it just has so much in it. It's throwing so much forward to Civil War. It tells us that Bruce Banner is in the Avengers Tower, which leads to Avengers. It's going to lead directly to Avengers with its post-credit scene with Captain America's arc. It's going to lead into, or it mentions Doctor Strange. It obviously affected Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, it referenced Iron Man 2 through Tony's dad's death, Iron Man 3 through explaining why Gary Shandling was such an asshole, Agent Carter <laughs> through a late life experience, and then Civil War with the Bucky things we've theorized. So it's such a like a central point uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The fact that it's good is just going to make it compound better as we know more about where all these characters are going and headed. So revisiting Captain America 2 is going to be better. But at the time... I went off on a long rant on my other podcast that I'll link to in the show notes about how it was so structurally similar to Iron Man 2, and I didn't get why somebody was hating on, you know, Iron Man 2 and then whatever. But I realize now that Someone. It's, it's, it's because Captain... <laughs> I realize now it's because Captain America 2 had like a genre flavor and Iron Man 2 had, yeah. was just boring in spots. Yes. So I understand that now, and it sounds like Marvel understands that now. So hopefully we're over that uh, mid mid-movie shield slump. dump. Yeah. Um, I think that... See, there's a part of me that wants to resist your your um, your tendency to say something has value because of the way that it connects to everything. I mean, I know you're not saying that's the only reason it has value. I heard you. I heard everything you said. But I do know that that's important to you when you can see the threads coming in and going out. Um, and it is important. And so what I'll say not to contradict you, but sort of compliment that is, and I think you kind of said it, is that this movie could have been so bad with how much narrative it had to hold up. 
it could have just crumbled under all of the narr- of the narrative strings it had to keep in place and it didn't it was fun it was um adventurous it was it was a great genre film nice it's completely different from the first Captain yeah america great tone really Really, really good. And I, I, I loved that movie. I loved it. A Guardians is more fun to watch, I think. And I think people feel like it's something different. Whereas Cap maybe might feel similar, even though you and I just said it was dissimilar. I think people might think it's just, oh, another Marvel movie. Whereas Guardians, because it's in space and there's a raccoon in a tree, feels different. And, um, I don't know. I think the more we see it all blend together, the less strange, guardians will feel and then i think yeah history will say that captain america 2 is the better movie of the year maybe yeah. well i mean if maybe. they keep if they keep doing like james gunn is talking about and sort of keeping the guardians separate until they absolutely have to mix together then it, it's it makes sense that guardians plays a lot more like the avengers where you have like a lot of really big highs and then some little fun scenes in between where Captain America 2 is like, here's a mystery and things are going to get worse Mm -hmm. until our, you know, prerequisite CGI things blowing up uh, finale. Yeah. But I didn't even mind it because this was at least the time that there wasn't like 15 billion little CGI things going on. There was just three big helicarriers (laughs) and the action was really easy to follow. Exactly. And you know how I, um, I get up on my high horse about the villains in Marvel movies and, you know, of course, I don't have any complaints about Robert Redford. He was fantastic. And the whole Hydra network reveal was fantastic. Um, and then the the emotional thread of Bucky and, and Steve, which is yeah. set up in the in the first movie, that has so much more resonance than anything we saw, in my opinion, in Iron Man 2 or Thor 2. I mean, I know that a big character, uh, allegedly a big character dies in Thor 2, but I just, I didn't feel that. The more I think about Thor 2, I, well, I don't need to upset anyone by talking about how much I don't like it, but Captain America 2 is everything that I wanted and more. So, there you go. <laughs> only up from here only or only <laughs> down from here. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, oh, maybe either way. Maybe. Um, all right. So, this next question, we actually got this uh, from two different people. Um, so, I'm I'm charmed that a, a sort of comic book story happened in the news this week and people thought to talk to us about it. Uh, so, this is from both from Billy Morris from Calgary and Scott from Los Angeles. And it's about uh, a news story that went up on Vox.com about how the um, – it, because it's 2015 and therefore a new year where copyright material doesn't come into the public domain because of a U.S. copyright extension law. That is to say, Batman should have come into public domain like Sherlock Holmes has in the past – um, because of copyright laws, but there was an extension, so it is still DC uh, copyright. But both of these uh, these people wrote in to ask us what we think would happen if a character as iconic as Batman were to go into the public domain. Um, yeah, that's why you have Elementary and Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes and Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock Holmes existing all at the same time. And so we could have not just Ben Affleck's Batman and that little baby Batman on Gotham on Fox, but we could have... A Batman in a Marvel movie that could happen if if this were to ha- if the copyright uh, hadn't been extended. So, Dave, did you have any thoughts on this at all? Um, uh, just that the original per- people that do this all the time is Disney, who originally jumped to the defense of Mickey Mouse in. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to link to a supplemental article because <laughs> I, I can't 
there will be homework. I can't, I can't speed read this. There's charts and everything. <laughs> but basically, uh, Disney found a way to basically zap uh, the limits on renewals to copyrights away to keep Mickey Mouse out of the public domain. So now it's interesting that it applies to Batman, but Batman was uh, pretty much infinitely screwed as are all comic book based characters in being made under work for hire first of all so they're going to get divorced from first the people who create them in the first place and passed around and second you could just keep renewing the copyright it's part of this weird business strategy uh that uh is sort of gonna i don't know keep these franchises afloat and why we're gonna keep seeing new transformers movies rather than I don't know, other movies about robots changing into things. Is it, These names are the, the marketable thing about them at this point because everything else can be so fluid. But if Batman was in the public domain, um, I'm actually not as excited about its inclusion in Marvel properties. I don't think it would happen because the comics are still being sold by DC, so you don't want to give anybody money. Also, you don't want to show a character that you can't necessarily control his portrayal of and make him a big part of your universe because then, you know, it could get tarnished by public perception of the character. But I would mostly be happy with the things that, like, satirists would do with Batman or the things, like, television would do with Batman. Or it's just, like, all of a sudden, Batman's open to these people that need, like, a Batman character and the things that people have associated with Batman since, like, 1989 when he hit major in the public consciousness or 66 when he was sort of campy. But either way... Yeah, how like, dare you discredit Adam West? How dare you? Well, at least I can go to the Dark Knight first, even <laughs> though that is the legitimate third heartbeat. But if he was in public domain now, I'd be more interested to see what the character became um, without any sort of uh, restrictions on what it could be by uh, somebody controlling the, the brand name. I just want to make a quick apology because I said that there were only two Batmans and I forgot about Will Arnett's Lego Batman, who's an important cultural figure. <laughs> Right now, in the Batman legacy, so he's getting his own movie. So you know, um, yeah, that's interesting. And I think, I, I I mean, I know you like Elementary, but I for one do not like that there are so many Sherlock Holmes running around the place. And it's not really a, a knock on Elementary. It's more I would just rather there be one at a time for me to follow. Um, mm, but he's the he's the first. It's the thing. He's the proto mega franchise because really early on when Arthur Sir, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stopped writing uh, stories, there was an outpour, outcry for him to start again. But in between that time period, uh, local theaters started adapting mysteries yeah. to become Sherlock Holmes mysteries or adapting the short stories to be put on in public. So to fill the audience's want for Sherlock Holmes these other things popped up with the uh, right. other Sherlock Holmeses. So that's what you would want to happen with something in the public domain. So I don't know if we, I can hold it against Sherlock Holmes that he's in the public domain. I'm not just holding it against Sherlock Holmes. I'm just saying I don't necessarily want that for other characters. That's all I'm saying. Right. But I mean, Batman's an archetype. Batman is Arrow. We're getting a Batman right now. You know, it's it's it would, all right, it would all be right. fine. Okay, Batman's done. Fine, uh, Ben Affleck, Will Arnett, Stephen Amell, and that kid on Gotham. But that's it. No other Batmans. All right, uh, and whoever's in the you know whatever video game is happening right now. Okay. Um, this next question comes from Ivan in Chicago, and he mentions his 
comic book store of choice, which I really liked. It's Challengers Comics and Conversation in Chicago, I'm assuming. Dave, do you have a comic book store of choice uh, in your new abode? Not yet. I have yet to make it to more than one, so I will I will get there and I will call out some Denver comic book stores. All right, I'm going to call out Blue Moon Comic Books in San Rafael, California uh, for my comic book store of choice. Um, but Ivan just sort of gave us a, a nice, tidy little list of, of books that he enjoyed in 2014, um, and I just thought I'd read a few titles out in case they sparked any interest. I'm not going into major depth, but I want to say that Ivan is showing remarkable taste, so if any of these titles sound fun to you guys, um, go ahead and look them up, because Ivan is proving himself... Uh, you know, a worthy source. If only there was some sort of internet account. We yeah, we're going to get the... On. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, so... <laughs> do you want to <laughs> explain that, Dave? Or do you want me to read these titles first? Yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, we'll, uh, we have a Goodreads account now in response to an excellent listener's suggestion. I think it's the, the Thought Bubble, is, or Thought Bubble is the, the username. That's what you could search for. I will also... Link to that in the show notes. Uh, you could see what comics uh, Joanna and I are reading, and we will put some of these up into their own shelf so you know what we're talking about. Their Ivan shelf. Yeah, uh, Dave has a bunch of titles on there. I only put one so far, which is pretty much in line with how I handled my own private Goodreads account. So we'll see. I'll try to do better, though. Um, but this, that is a great place to put sort of listener suggestions. So. I'm just going to rattle a few off. Um, Alex and Ada, Birthright, The Bunker, The Fade Out, God Hates Astronauts, Miss Marvel, which we've talked about, She-Hulk, which we've talked about, Southern Bastards, which I actually think we talked about, Velvet, The Woods, and then Thor, Lumberjanes, Gotham Academy, Batgirl. Lumberjanes, I started, I quite like. Uh, Gotham Academy, I'm actually really interested in. Um, and it might be my first DC property think. Ooh. Um, but it looks really interesting, Gotham Academy. So, um, I don't know. Or it might be, you know, Gotham Babies. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I'm, I'm interested. Um, Dave, you had some thoughts on, on image. A lot of these comics are image comics, uh, which is an imprint. And, uh, Dave, you had some opinions on that. Yeah. I, a lot of my, uh, other imprints that, like I said, I have, I've only managed to been, to, I've only managed to go to one store since I've been here. Uh, it's been a few months. Uh, don't have a car in a city. None of that is your guys' problem. But <laughs> I used to uh, read all comics from a bunch of publishers on Comixology. I would even get into smaller uh, publishers because they would have some sorts of specials. Um, but then all of a sudden, comic oh, I was even I even applied to work at Comixology and was like thinking about going in for an interview. But as I was thinking about going in for an interview, they sold to Amazon and all of their direct app sales support went away. So now you need to go to Amazon, purchase comics through your Amazon account, beam them to your thing which in theory is fine but it's just like this gatekeeper thing and what amazon's doing to like all of publishing right now yeah they bought goodreads so speaking of goodreads yeah then this is a good question to sort of bring these together that's why i wanted to make sure we hit it yeah so yeah i understand like the irony of bringing that up in the same podcast but in terms of like getting your digital comics comiXology as like a company really i feel like screwed their users and you could look through twitter and see people angrily tweeting about them like basically every wednesday about like this one extra step of like not having app support because they want to force you into having like an amazon account and that's the only reason it's not that they can't do it and they've tried to you know make it so you could at least have like a one click buy 
that will immediately beam it to your account instead of having to like empty your library. But it's the the primary goal behind it is they had something that was working really well. Amazon bought it so they would have a comics platform and sort of destroyed the awesome thing about Comixology because mm-hmm. I used to like be able to wake up at 10 a.m. on Wednesday and buy like 15 comics. It was putting me at like basically it was driving me broke. Which so, so I guess thank so you. Amos- yeah, <laughs> Amazon but did like, you a favor. Oh, it just it, it pisses me off so much. Yeah. And so now if I want to go to like buy a whole bunch of like image or boom comics which i definitely do i didn't get to finish deathmatch um but like i have i end up in a situation where i'm like getting to a comic store and i'm dropping like 60 dollars on all the back issues i've mitched because since the last time i went to the comic store which once again technically my problem but it's the weird thing where you like i had it <laughs> and it was taken away from me and just uh just just so I'd be an Amazon member so they could slowly squeeze all actual publishing out of the world. Yeah, um, Amazon, I get, Amazon t- is like my Hydra, basically. <laughs> and I try not to use it. I was, I pretty much abandoned Goodreads when Amazon bought it. They also bought ABE Books, which is where I bought used books online. Um, yeah, so they're just sort of sticking their little tentacles into everything, which is bothersome to me as someone who worked in an independent bookstore for as long as I did. Uh, you know, but I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I do order things from Amazon occasionally. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm a saint. But I... It- well, I'm just talking about publishing. I I mean, I think that the way that they're, they're angling their business so they could eventually squeeze out publishers they don't like at their own whim is right. gross. I don't want to speak to the, you know, other fine products and, like, I'm sure there's, like, Amazon World stuff I don't even know about that is probably good. But... Uh, as with any big conglomerate, actually not with any big conglomerate, because I'm always talking about how much I like what Marvel's doing over at Disney. So it's just it just seems weird to want to strangle a medium just because you want to deliver socks to everybody. <laughs> I kind of want that tattooed on my body. All right. Um, so this is from, uh, this next question comes from Ashley from the UK and Ashley says, my question for you both is one that's been on my mind for a few years now. Do you think we'll ever see the Red Skull in the Marvel Cinematic Universe again? And if so, how might he return and who should play him? His fate at the end of Captain America seemed like it might not be so final as you don't really see him die. And I always imagine that he was beamed up to Asgard. Personally, I'd love to see Christoph Waltz take on the role, but maybe that's a bit too obvious. What do you think? Uh, Dave and I were discussing this a little bit off air. I watched Captain America just last night or rewatched Captain America just last night. I don't know. I think you see the Red Skull like disintegrating. I know that there's like a beam up to the Asgardian heavens, but um, a pretty, I think, well, but dead is never dead in the comic book. So they could bring the Red Skull back. But the question is why when there are so many other interesting villains. As for the Christoph Waltz thing. I forgot that a listener had written this in when I was watching Captain America last night, and I was just thinking about how much Hugo Weaving's accent sounded like Christoph Waltz. So, if anyone, yes, Christoph Waltz for sure. Um, Dave, what's your what are your thoughts, on Red Skull? Oh, I also just recently rewatched both the Captain America movies. Um, so I think that definitely he gets grabs the cosmic cube tesseract, which you're not supposed to touch. And he gets the portal opens in space, and he gets shot up. And at the time, it was like, oh, it's it's the cosmic cube. He accidentally altered reality in a way that like blew him up. Or in the movie's own logic, it's this endless power source. He just like blew himself up and blew a tiny hole in the universe. But having seen how the Tesseract acts in Avengers, 
and knowing that that's important enough that now Loki's staff is getting sort of forwarded into Avengers 2. It's like, oh, all these things, like how they act is sort of important, even if the first time they showed up, they are just MacGuffins. So I think he totally got ported into space. The uh, question would be is if they would bring him back uh, as another character and that would work. Uh, I'm not sure when it would be because I think Civil War is pretty packed and like throwing a Christoph Waltz in there it would seem sort of weird. But in terms of your, your questions about looking like he blew up, did, have you seen Stargate, James Spader, Ultron Connection? Yeah. Okay, so you know how like the, the oh yeah, star- I've seen Stargate. Okay, yeah, so you know how like the Stargate liquid works. Yeah. So he grabs it and it's blue, and then like the liquid like goes all the way down, and as it's going down, it's sending him up the little. Is the that little what beam. happens? Because it looks like his fingers disintegrate to me. In into the beam, like okay, like in it's the possible that his that his fingers become light. I thought they were crumbling, and his red skull becomes like black before it goes away. So I thought he was just crumbling, but I'll I'll rewatch. And see I if he's it, beaming he instead covered, of crumbling. I think it, like it, the, the energy consumes him Stargate-wise, and mm. then it goes up through the beam. But, you know, it, it really only depends on whenever and whichever Captain America needs to face the Red Skull again. Maybe Steve Rogers isn't the one that has the biggest bone to pick, pick with the Red Skull. And that would certainly be Spoiler. somebody you would want to bring back that's familiar <laughs> if you have an unfamiliar Captain America leading it. All right, that's enough of that illusion, I think. Okay, um. fair enough. But I also want to bring up that Christoph Waltz uh, it was like the red-associated guy in Green Hornet. So that was my association when I when I heard Christoph Waltz and Red Skull. Yeah. I'm like, that. yeah, he was so good with the color red and Green Hornet. Or, <laughs> I, he was better than the he, that the rest of that movie warranted. As yeah, the bad guy in Green Hornet. I mean, and that's how, I mean, Christoph Waltz hasn't been in many terrible movies, but should he ever show up in another terrible movie, which I'm sure he will, uh, we all do uh, eventually. Um, he'll be the best part of it because he's just kind of like Teflon. I don't think <laughs> I don't think he's capable of giving a bad performance. So, um. All right, so this this is more of a correction than a question. This comes from Lee Anderson from Texas, and Lee writes, uh, this is in reference to not the last episode, which was the Agent Carter episode, but the one that uh, dropped before that. Uh, and he says, on the pronunciation of Ra's al Ghul, uh, Dennis... Denny O'Neill created Ra's al Ghul in 1971 with artist Neil Adams. In a bonus feature for the Batman Begins DVD Blu-ray, he announced it's Raish, to quote Stanley Enough said. So Raish al Ghul. I'm still going to say Ra's al Ghul. Uh, the other correction had to do with our discussion of Dollhouse. Um, I forget why I was just thinking about Dollhouse. Anyway, uh, we we talked about sort of Joss Whedon's weaknesses for not terribly great female leads uh, in his projects. And we sort of made the assumption that he had Dollhouse at Fox and he recruited Eliza Dushku. But in fact, it's the reverse. Uh, Lee writes, on Joss Whedon's casting of unfortunate female leads, he didn't cast Eliza Dushku in Dollhouse. Having signed a production deal with Fox, Dushku came to Whedon to create a series in which she would star. So Whedon had zero choice in the casting of Echo. Articles on Entertainment Weekly and the LA Times corroborate this, corroborate this, which he linked to. Um, and... So the point of that is, it's not entirely Whedon's fault, but it's still kind of Whedon's fault, isn't it? That Echo was did not work. Well, I mean, he could have created a different project. Like he wanted to make Dollhouse, so he made Dollhouse with the opportunity that Eliza Dushku afforded him with this with this deal with Fox. So he put Eliza Dushku in a role that she could not carry. 
in my opinion. I think Eliza Dushku wanted to make Dollhouse, and Joss Whedon had just blew up as a film director in Serenity. I say blow up, blew up in the not positive in the sense where it's like Serenity did okay, but everybody on the internet was calling for it to like relaunch Firefly, and it did not do relaunch Firefly uh, numbers, nor did it really do uh, Joss Whedon needs to direct my new project numbers. So it was sort of like a back to television moment for, for him. And here mm. comes this this person from Buffy and who he like knows and has rapport with. And she has this idea that he... You think it's her eventually... idea? I thought it was his idea. I Like everything I've heard from Whedon makes it seem like Dollhouse is very much his idea. So you think Eliza Dushka was like, so what if I play a sex worker who is also like a bunch of different characters? No, 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 no. That that all goes on him. But like Eliza Dushku being like, this series is for me. Yeah. I'm bringing you over here. Yeah. Yeah. But what it's I'm not... saying is Joss Whedon married the idea of Dollhouse to that opportunity. Which you can't it... really fault him. But I'm just saying it wasn't the right match. That That well, was his decision to say, okay, I have this idea about a character who can be you know, a bunch of different personalities. So this is the time to launch that be- with Eliza Dushku in the lead. No, well, he should have been it, like, I've got an idea for someone who looks really good in low-cut tops and can wear dark lip gloss. Oh, not, Eliza Dushku. It's not so much that. It's that the the show did end up working like towards the end of the second season when he had less to do with it. It's like it's not the the Eliza Dushku Eliza Dushku at the center of a TV show where she has to play multiple things can't work. It's just he didn't get that out of the gate. He gave it to the people who are now running Agents of Shield who got it out of the gate. And like, but that... the, when Dollhouse worked towards the end, it's because Echo was less doing less and less of the character of the week stuff. Yes, so that's where Joss Whedon's decision to rely on Eliza Dushku is Joss Whedon's fault. So we came to an agreement, I think. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but we're dis- we're disagreeing with the 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 questioner, correct? Well, I mean, no. The the person who wrote in was factually correct, but I still yes. think it's okay to say that Joss Whedon wrote something for Eliza Dushku that she was not up for, and when the property changed a bit to match her ability, the whole overall show worked much better, right? Yes. Okay. um i think that's it for the non-advanced section this week uh is there anything else you want to talk about news wise or uh show wise no no i think we're good i mean there'll be a lot to talk oh do we want to talk about agent carter is that technically advanced now like the episode two yeah um i think we should wait we can we can record our thoughts next tuesday and then we'll be johnny on the spot wednesday morning very well um, but that being said, I did like episode two, so I guess we could say that. I think it, I would say to our <laughs> listeners who have seen this week's or just the first episode, uh, to not make assumptions about the shape of the whole series from that one episode. Nimbly, nimbly done. Okay. Nimbly done, my friend. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, all right. So we're going to head into the advanced section. Um, you can find all of our podcasts at fighting the war room slash comics. Is that what yes. it is? Uh, or you can subscribe to us on iTunes or any number of places. Uh, or you can send us uh, your email, us your thoughts at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. Um, 
I am really interested to hear what you guys all think about Agent Carter and whether or not you agree with our assessment that we recorded now a couple weeks ago. Um, if this is everything you wanted from Agent Carter's series, I would recommend, by the way, if you have time to watch, rewatch that 15 minute, it's actually less than 15 minutes. I think it's like 12 minutes, the Marvel one shot that they did, um, with Haley Atwell. Uh, For some Bradley Whitford action. I mean, yeah, but like Shea Wiggum is basically, uh, the con, well, he, yeah, here's what I'll say. I'll say this. We didn't talk about this. I'll say this. Basically, they trapped themselves into a premise because you've got a small window for Peggy Carter. She leaves the war where she's in a capable position, um, you know, as an agent. She's respected. The war ends. The Marvel one shot takes place one year later and it ends with her going to run S.H.I.E.L.D. with Howard Stark, right? So you've got one year of Peggy Carter's life where she's treated like shit by her male colleagues. And that's the premise you're locked into for Agent Carter because of that, right? Yes. I mean, they're pretending that Bradley Whitford is – I don't know if this is supposed to come before Bradley Whitford or if they're just going to ignore that Bradley Whitford was the boss and just pretend Shea Wiggum or or whatever. But, um, I mean, you're you're – I don't expect to see her male colleagues respecting her because that arc doesn't – like, that arc ends with her going to run S.H.I.E.L.D., right? Yes, I think this is more, um, I I guess, not only is it a news story for Peggy and uh, Jarvis, but it's uh, background for a lot of stuff uh, sort of packaged in this really fun romp, period romp. Uh, And since it's only eight episodes, I don't think it's going to try to be more than that. And I think if it could pull it off, it could be something really fun. But yes. But do you think think it's going to end with her going to S.H.I.E.L.D.? And if so, like, if this is hugely successful, do you think season two of the limited run series of Agent Carter would be uh, Peggy Carter and Howard Stark starting S.H.I.E.L.D.? Um, I think it's likely that it would be S.H.I.E.L.D. and not SSR. Yes. Right. Because, yeah, that's what I'm saying is just... The option for SSR is very – the window for SSR is very narrow in Agent Carter's timeline as well, they set it up. if we want to hop over to the advanced section, okay. I could shed a little light on right. what happens to So Agent we're going to leave a tantalizing breadcrumb trail over to the advanced section, but I already dropped all of our pertinence. So we will see you, you newcomers, you spoiler phobes, next week. Muzzle off. What did you want to say? Um, uh, supposedly in Ant-Man, there's going to be a scene that includes uh, Peggy Carter, Howard Stark, and um, a young Robert Redford character, Alexander Pierce. 
in the new shields. Um, so we know sort of how that all connects, and we know at some part uh, Project Paperclip uh, gets involved. So ex-Nazi doctors, that's super fun. We know that from Captain America too. So I think there's a lot to tell with Peggy, um, sort of knowing that we've checked in with her there. We'll check in with her in Ant-Man, and we've checked in with her sort of towards the end of her life. Uh, in Captain America too, so I think you could just go back and fill in all those gaps and make her sort of like uh, the. Oh man, she's like the word? glue of this universe. Yeah, she's like the fourth, the Forrest Gump of the Marvel Cinematic uh, yeah. Universe. <laughs> but like the way, basically, they're trying to make do with her for Phase Two, what they did with Agent Coulson for Phase One. So she'll oh, pop yeah. up or okay. be tangential to everything. I think, except for Guardians, and that makes Thor. sense. I liked her her bit in Agents of Shield that we saw um, earlier this year. So. Yeah, with the Howling Commandos. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was a little disappointed the Howling Commandos aren't. They are so fun, and they they cast them so well um, in the first Captain America movie. So I'm sad that you know uh, that we are in SS. I almost wish it had been. I know probably for whatever Howard Stark reasons, and I know you have a whole scheme as to why Agent Carter is what it is, but. Um, I sort of wish she had more adventures with the Howling Commandos first before she got treated like a secretary for eight episodes. I don't think that they're beyond flashbacks and all those actors would love to come back. I think it'd be it'd be bully. Bully. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, all right. So the other advanced uh, section question that we have, this is from Brian from Orange County. Oh, did you want to talk about oh, your Winter Soldier illusion that you muzzled yourself on earlier or I made you muzzle yourself on? earlier oh bucky bucky is cap thing yeah the the bucky's captain america he also has a history with the red skull so that would free them up from the whole vita ray erskine connection that agent carter is leaning so hard on to get to the first movie and you just have a connection of bucky through all the movies so that would at least be a place you could introduce him if you don't have a cooler villain like i don't know taskmaster or something to take his place so bucky falls off a train into a snowy canyon and then red skull find like who like remind me because i guess i need to rewatch captain america 2 remind me what happens to bucky after he falls off the train so he falls off a train and steve rogers says in captain america 2 that uh zola was already experimenting on him because nobody should have like basically uh, survive that fall. So if you see in Captain America one, when when he finds him, he's already strapped to a table with a big gut, like right pointed at his head. Yes. Okay. Uh, so survives that, except for his arm. Uh, they drag him away. They give him a new bionic arm. They put him in cold storage. They start using him as an assassin. But so who is they? Is it Hydra? Yeah, but like okay. So oh, Toby... you're talking. Oh, go ahead. Well, so Toby Jones is. Um already captured at that point so it's a red skull led hydra group which is why bucky would have a particular beef with with red skull because red skull dies or or is beamed into space uh you know at the beginning of bucky's career as winter soldier right well i mean when he's being rescued uh there's that showdown where it's Captain America and Bucky versus uh Red Skull and Zola and they're right. on the opposite sides of the, the fiery pit. Yeah. 
Like, that's enough of a thing that if Hydra ends up killing Steve and then all of a sudden the head of Hydra's back and it's somebody that also lived during World War II, that's enough connections to at least not make it feel like an extraneous, weird movie that has nothing to do with the Chris Evans Captain America. Hmm. I would think. I don't know. That's how I'd do it. Okay. Um, If we wanted to bring Red Skull back. Right, and really there's no need to. Like yeah. I said, there's a lot of cool, crazy, plenty especially of the spy, movies. espionage, yeah. political vein these Captain America movies are taking. All right, so this is our last question. This is Brian from Orange County, California. Uh, and he says, <laughs> sorry, I always try to navigate around when you guys are really nice to us because it sounds so stupid to read praise aloud, and then sometimes I forget to take those sentences out. So, But since this flatters Dave, I'll just I'll read it aloud. He says, um... In the first episode of this brilliant podcast, Dave discussed in the spoiler section that the current roster of Marvel heroes, Iron Man, Thor, Captain, etc., would be dead by Infinity War Part 1. While I agree with Dave, I hope they execute it in a different way. I would like them to go back to the Infinity Gauntlet event where, they're, where with a literal snap of his fingers, Thanos erases one half the universe's population to please death. Why couldn't the current roster of Marvel heroes be among the casualties? This would also establish the power of the Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos as a credible threat that is going to take all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe to take take him down. Uh, I think that's interesting. Dave, what do you think of that? Yeah, I would love to see something where like our Netflix heroes or Captain Marvel or Inhumans or things that we know a little bit about, like if they get the rights to Spider-Man back, um, that like Thanos snaps and we see these shots of these people going out of existence as well as like whole planets and everything but to give the example that like these things that you love are now gone because that's how big of a deal this is and then in between the Infinity Wars part 1 and 2 we get the backstory of all these people that we think are dead but we're in a cliffhanger so much like you know Agent Carter goes back to fill in some holes Captain Marvel, the Inhumans, and the Netflix crossover event all sort of fill in the holes of all these characters that sort of got blinked out of existence. And suddenly in Avengers 2, they could come back for the giant team shot that I really think needs to be in Avengers Infinity War Part 2. So you're saying saying what you think they're going to do is like introduce jessica jones without giving us any reason to care about her and then watch her blink out of existence and then... No, this is this is Infinity War Part One, so we will have seen all these people. We will have seen all the Netflix heroes. We will have at least we might have seen Captain Marvel and the Inhumans. Obviously, Agents of Shield is starting to deal with now. So it's not like we'd be unaware of these characters, but it would up their ante that they got snapped out of existence before their supposed big, you know, event. But that people would, yeah. But that's still B team. And what I think is interesting from, I feel like what Brian is saying is that he thinks the A team should be snapped out of existence. That we should snap out Captain Marvel. I mean, uh, that we should snap out Captain America, um, Iron Man, you know, like the big heavy hitters just gone. And that really establishes Thanos as like, holy shit, the snap his fingers. He got rid of like the main characters of this franchise. That'd be very ballsy. I don't that, know. It would be very ballsy. I think you would sacrifice more meaningful uses for them in the other movies. Like, what I made this, this is the first episode of the podcast, so I made this prediction <laughs> before I knew that Iron Man and Captain America were going to be in a movie where they could both potentially die. So, hey, 
I think that, you know, there's a big, there are big moments to be had in these individual stories, and an Avengers movie is going to be big regardless, so. You think I, Cap I think... and Iron Man are going to die in, in Captain America 3? I think Crossbones is going to shoot Captain America like he does after Civil War in the comics. Um, we saw Crossbones survive at the end of Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, and then I think, uh, depending on how much they need Iron Man or can afford more Robert Downey Jr., if Avengers Age of Ultron switches our lineup of Avengers around Captain America, not Iron Man, I could see Iron Man either piecing out for a little while or them straight up killing Tony Stark. Wow. But I mean, that would be like a huge climax. But Civil War is going to be a big movie. It's Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice year. So Marvel's <laughs> going to Marvel's gonna be kicking for the balls. So, <laughs> so you're saying that, you know, just like you knew that Gwen was going to die in Amazing Spider-Man 2, like you feel very confident that Steve Rogers is, is peacing out after Captain America 3 because in the comic book, Civil War ends with Crossbones shooting Steve Rogers. Well, not only that, but before this movie was revealed to be Captain America Civil War, when they were still trying to figure out who was going to be in it, its code name was Fallen Sun, which is the comic book line that Captain uh, America dies in. Jesus, stop dropping so many clues, Marvel. Um, oh, that's something we should have talked about in the section where Jeremy Renner tweeted that he was in the Hawkeye costume today, but it's too early for Avengers resuits, so Hawkeye's going to pop up somewhere. Didn't we already know he was going to be on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? He said he wanted to. Oh. But once again, it might be a Paul Giamatti Rhino thing where they're like, what? You, Jeremy Renner wants to be on TV? Sure. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So you're telling me that Frank Grillo is the person who kills Captain America. <laughs> That's how important Crossbones is. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like they did a good enough job establishing him as that, as that important or that credible in, in Captain America 2? I mean, he was he was he was good, but I thought he was good as like a as a B player, C it's, player even. It's not like a showdown. It's like Captain America chooses to stand trial for his crimes, and he's shot on the courthouse steps from like a distance away by Crossbones. Crossbones is just the Lee Harvey Oswald. Of oh, this, okay, of this so the world. kind of the point is that he's not that important. Right. The point okay. is that Captain America, you know, stands up for the american way truth justice that gets that gets shot all right okay well that'll be a bummer because chris evans is real joy um or they might not the big twist might be they don't kill him they're gonna kill him though there are there are so they're gonna kill him and then i mean i mean you know i I like sebastian stan he can be our captain america if he wants to be the, the smart thing about this though is you're baking in the audience being tired with this like every time people are like when is this comic book movie thing bubble going to burst i'm like it's rolling it's changing if you would have like pulled me out of the dark night and been like in 2014, you're gonna you're gonna be loving this space raccoon. <laughs> I'd be like, fuck you. But that's totally not what's gonna happen. Uh, By the time Chris Evans dies and there's a new Captain America, we will be perfectly fine with there being a new Captain America. Speaking of Chris Evans and, and space raccoons, can you put that great D and D comic at the bottom of of the Thought Bubble post? I can. Yes. Uh, the biggest laugh of the day for me. Except, is that supposed to be Bucky in that comic with him? Yeah. Yeah, the Chris Evans face is perfect. The Sebastian Stan face needs some work. Like, <laughs> he looks like a lady. All right. Um, Anything else we want to talk about? 
No, no, I think that was it. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I'm still on team Enver Jokay is evil, and this has nothing to do with episode two. It's just this is the flag that I'm going to wave until the series is over. Um, Dave, where can people find your work on the internet? Well, I you could find my work on the internet at uh, DA7E on Twitter, where I probably tweeted about Ant-Man a lot by now, or just links <laughs> to this podcast. Sorry, guys, just to send you in that infinity loop. Or my podcasting at fightinginthewarroom.com, my writing at latino-review.com, and Forbes.com. My name is Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. Trying to write about comic books occasionally, but uh, writing about other things as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Wrote This. And yeah, please do send us an email. We love all of your emails. And we've got some good ones backlogged that I love. I love what you guys write every week. So thanks so much. Bye. Once was a man named Dr. Pig And decided to make suit on a week. Though his pals were only a few He knew just what he had to do He's Ant-Man He's Ant-Man He's Ant-Man He's Ant-Man, He's Ant-Man. He could control the ants Even make them want to dance He could shrink down to the size And take his enemies by surprise He's Ant-Man He's a man, he's a man, he's a man, he's a man.